With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. It is non-stop in the Premier League right now. Games last night, games tonight, games at the weekend, games all over the place. That is the festive fixture list when it comes to the top flight. However, sadly, there's also COVID all over the place. Right across the Premier League, the effects are being felt with the immediate future of the division thrown into question. Burnley against Watford was off last night following Manchester United's game against Brentford from the night before. Will any of tonight's games be postponed as well? We'll preview them regardless as Liverpool and Newcastle clash with implications at either end of the table. Chelsea need to keep pace against a struggling Everton and Leicester play Spurs. How on earth is that one still going ahead? Loads of games to talk about from both last night and tonight here on Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. My name's Niall McCorn and alongside me to do it today, we've got Jim Salverson. Morning, Jim. Hello, Niall. Hello, Jim. And Marley Anderson, Fresh back from a trip to Iceland. Um, have you thought the out yet, Marley? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's come back with uh, two chicken Kievs and a frozen pizza. Marley Anderson, how are you doing? Oh, classic middle-aged joke there to kick us off. I've missed, uh, I've missed Jim's uh, crap banter while I've been uh, messing around in the snow hey, in Iceland. I'm currently going viral on the internet with my crap banter. I'll have you oh, is know. Oh, right. is this your bin thing? Yeah, I invented oh, a word hey. yesterday, and That's I put it on Twitter, and everyone suddenly it jumped on it. So the, there's somebody in your street, right, that takes your bins out, or takes their bins out first. They're kind of the person who sets the tone, and then you, when you go and do your bins, you look around and go, what's Dave at number 25 done? Oh, he's got the brown bins out. I know that's the day to go. The word for that person, the first person to put the bins out on the street, is the binfluencer. And that was a word I made up yesterday. Going wild on Twitter, it is. Content. Well, I'm just wondering how long it took you to figure out how to spell Bimfluencer, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's a made-up word. Doesn't matter, does it? It's however, it's however I want to spell it. Whatever Jim says goes. Listen, that's probably the lightest bit of content we're going to talk about on today's Football Social Daily. Because even though there were games last night and there are games tonight in the Premier League that we're going to preview, there's been a lot of concern, and understandably so, over coronavirus. This new Omicron variant which has pitched up in the UK is causing no end of problems, not just for the general public, but also for the Premier League. A number of players have tested positive. We mentioned on the show earlier this week that 42 players and staff had tested positive in the latest round of testing, which is the most since I think January and one of the highest figures since mandatory testing was introduced by the Premier League. We'll come on to that shortly. But first of all, we need to look at the games last night, of which there were three instead of four 
unfortunately for everyone of Burnley and Watford persuasion, that game was called off. And as I say, we'll talk about that in greater detail shortly. Mm -hmm. I'm more annoyed, though, that my 650 word Burnley against Watford preview went to complete waste on the sports social website. I spent ages (laughs) doing that. And then all of a sudden the game gets called off just two hours before kickoff. So as I say, we'll talk about that shortly. But let's talk about last night's game and one that you would have had a keen eye on, Jim, being a West Ham fan. Your boys were away at the Emirates, the short trip to North London. And you were beaten by two goals to nil. What did you make of the game? Did you think Arsenal were good value for the win? West Ham obviously were down to 10 men at one stage as well. Yeah, I thought Arsenal were, to be fair. I think they were the better team throughout. And to be fair, they've been very good at home over, well, for this season, actually. I think it's eight unbeaten at home, one last five in a row. So I don't think the Arsenal fans would have expected anything other than a win. But West Ham, over the last few weeks, have just looked tired. They've looked like they've given everything in the first quarter of the season and don't have a great deal left in the tank going into this part of the season. Traditionally, so far this year, I think Arsenal are the type of team that West Ham have played really well against. When teams come onto them and they're allowed to break on the counter, that's when West Ham have looked impressive. On occasions, they've struggled, in fact, to break down the weaker teams like Burnley, who have kind of sat back. So I was kind of expecting West Ham to get something out of that game but I thought Arsenal were very good they dominated the game and they just didn't let West Ham get the ball in the final third and that was kind of the issue West Ham defended pretty well I thought there was a little bit of last ditch throwing yourself in front of the ball the kind of thing you get when a lesser team meets a superior opposition which I think we can still say is a fair analysis of Arsenal versus West Ham but then when the ball went forward the West Ham forwards, Antonio, etc., were just incapable of holding it up or doing anything with it. And it was just coming back again and again and again. So I don't think anyone could be too disappointed with the result. Hang on. When you say lesser opposition, are you referring to Arsenal being lesser than West Ham or West Ham <laughs> being lesser than Arsenal? Sadly not. I think West Ham are still very much the underdogs. And I think that league position of, well, what was fourth before the game kicked off and now Arsenal are obviously in fourth. I think that's a little bit of a false position still. As carried away as West Ham are getting and the stone-cold fact that West Ham are the biggest team in London, that can cloud judgment a little bit. Um, But I don't think that's necessarily an honest appraisal of where West Ham are. I'd be amazed if West Ham finished top four, to be honest with you. I think top six is potentially the best they can hope for this season but they've got off to a brilliant start credit to everyone involved in the club for getting that but it's just it I don't believe it's maintainable with the other teams around us we're six minutes into today's football social daily and we've already got two middle-aged jokes from Jim Salverson we've got the Iceland one and now West Ham being the biggest club in (laughs) London not a joke (laughs) that's an average of every three minutes so you're in for a treat today listening to this show um as Jim says Marley The Gunners are up to fourth. They leapfrog West Ham with that 2-0 win at the Emirates last night. They've gone quietly about their business. They've taken a few hidings along the way, mind. They got smacked about by Manchester City. They got dominated by Liverpool and they lost to Manchester United. But now they're fourth. How in the top four race are they for you? How big a contender are they for Champions League football? Oh, I mean, they're in there because they're in there right now. But um, I think there's a long way to go. I think with Arsenal, they tend to... They're doing well against teams around them um, and, and teams below them. They, they seem to have got their act together like that. And then when they come up against the bigger teams, as as you mentioned, they get they get slapped about a bit and and aren't quite there. Um, they've also still they're not amazing off the pitch. The, the whole stuff with Aubameyang getting stripped of the captaincy um, and and being the unprofessional that's that's all lingered around Arsenal for for years now. There's been so many. Um, instances of, of stuff like that affecting them um but on the pitch they they do seem to be turning the corner smith rose obviously a revelation saka's playing really well this season um uh, martinelli's been good for the last few games and so has odegaard so it's they've got that creativity there um i just think they need a bit more consistency against the bigger teams when they come up against them a bit more of a plan to get into games against them um and then they'll be all right and they can challenge for certainly the top six. I think maybe the top four is a little bit too far past them. Um, but as we've seen this season, that top four, that fourth position is going to change, change hands almost on a weekly basis. So it's not really about being 
sort of consistently the fourth best team. It's like who's who's going to be in that position come the end of the season with three or four games to go? Because I think it's going to be so tight outside the top three um, that you'll you, it could be one of three or four teams. Yeah, certainly Arsenal have done what they needed to do under the radar a little bit. And as I say, they have taken some pretty convincing beatings off the likes of City and Liverpool, which I think shows just how far away they are from being a top team again in this country. But that being said, I think, is it 10 points, the difference between fifth and top of the league at the moment? It's quite a significant gap, I think. So it's certainly an interesting one when it comes to the top four race, if not the title race, which we'll come on to a little bit later, of course, with Liverpool and Newcastle in action tonight. Finally on West Ham, Jim, Declan Rice, who's led by example and speaks so well for a man of such tender age. He said in the post-match interview... This was nowhere near good enough a performance to be a top four team. Was he right, do you think? Yeah, I think he was absolutely bang on. And what I like about West Ham at the moment is I think they're a really honest team and they say exactly how they see it in these post-match interviews. And I think that was demonstrated by Declan Rice in his post-match interview. It was demonstrated by David Moyes in his as well, where he... Basically, I mean, with the Sufal penalty, he said, yeah, it was a penalty. It was a really poor tackle and he should be doing better than that. And I think you could level that kind of criticism at most of the players on the pitch last night, with the exception of maybe Lucas Fabianski, is they should be doing a little bit better. But they've played a lot of games already this season. It's a threadbare squad and they there's some heavy legs out there. And it, it's going to be interesting in January to see how seriously the board are taking this West Ham rise, the potential that is in this squad, because they are taking it seriously. There seriously needs to be a bit of money spent. There needs to be some hands put in pockets and some cash play handed out because we've all I've talked lots about the the issues West Ham going forward and the fact that Mikel Antonio is the only out and out forward player. But there are deficiencies right the way through that squad that aren't necessarily in the first 11, but it's when you go below that first 11 in the situation we're in at the moment. Just in defence, you've got uh, Angelo Obonga, he's out for the season. You've got Johnson, he's out at the moment. Cresswell is coming back, but he's been out for the last few games after that back injury. Soufal's missing now because he's going to be banned for a couple of games. Just, so... just one, I think. If it was two yellows, it would just Is be it one? one? Yeah. Okay. So it, there's a real depth issue with West Ham, not just in terms of playing in Europe and playing in the Premier League but also in terms of the Christmas period and how they get over these next few weeks and I think by the time January comes around West Ham if they hang on to one of there or thereabouts in that fourth position then it will be really surprising for me because when you look at the recent results the performances haven't been good enough and when you look at the result last night the performances haven't been good enough but I think it is down to tiredness because the amount that David Moyes demands for his players he demands a hard-working team and it's very difficult to deliver that if you're not 100% fit I think you're right and also you look at Mikhail Antonio who I don't think has scored for ages and no. who's his replacement is there one you know it's, it's... although the, the one thing I would say about Mikhail Antonio is he hasn't scored since I think uh, it might be even late October was his last goal I think it was the end of October but he does offer more than just goals, Mikel Antonio. His hold-up play, on the whole, yeah. is very good. It wasn't last night, but on the whole, it usually is. But there is no replacement. There is no second option, you're right. No, I agree. But, you, you know, you need someone to back him up. And obviously, that's not the case at the moment for West Ham. And maybe they do need that money, as you say, in January. They got beaten last night by Arsenal. Arsenal leapfrogged the Hammers into fourth. They're in the Champions League places for... I think the first time this season, I'm not 100% on that, but certainly I can't remember them being in the top four, particularly after the poor start they had to the season. As for West Ham, they dropped down a place into fifth just outside of those Champions League spots. Now let's take a look at Crystal Palace 2, Southampton 2, where Palace fought back for an eighth draw this season. They were one goal up. They went quickly 2-1 down and then they managed to fight back with a goal in the second half. I suppose it's easy to say when the game finishes 2-2 and it was it was reasonably entertaining that, that a draw is a fair result. Would you agree with that, Marley? Uh, it, it seemed so. I didn't see the full 90 minutes. I just seen the uh, the sort of stats and the, the highlights. Um, but it's, it, they do seem a fairly even team. Like Crystal Palace have struggled to hold on to leads this season. They've been really good in patches. Um, and they tend to sort of go from one extreme to the other and then eventually land in the middle and it's as you say it's happened eight times this season like eight 
eight draws is is an insane amount of uh, games to to draw um, at this stage of the season. So, um, so there's good there's good bits and bad bits. I think their their attacking was 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 all right. Zaha took his goal well, stuck it mm. past a ninety seven year old Willy Caballero in goal, which has got to be <laughs> one of the worst signings I've ever ever heard of. Caballero is still warming up. It was only scored after oh two minutes. God. He's probably still just settling in. It's, it, I, it's, it's one of the most bizarre signings ever, that. Um, I'd have just stuck a, a young kid in there and got said, go and self, make yourself a hero, lad. You've got three games now. Um, but Caballero's there and, you know, ambling around his box trying to get to get to everything. Um, and yeah, I think even at the weekend, he was poor, wasn't he, when he came for that, uh, that corner and ended up getting caught out. But anyway, um, you know, the... Palace is just they're all over the place like they they took took the lead and you're thinking okay here we go you know they've got a nice early goal um that'll settle them down they can start playing and they probably play as good as if not better football than Southampton this season um and then they give away the free kick and James Ward-Prowse comes up with another absolute stunner um and all the hard work's undone then they then they switch off a bit It's, it's almost like they they got hurt by it and thought a bit too much about it and Ends up two one down with Broha's goal, which was brilliant again. To be fair, and then ended up getting themselves back together and and nicking a, a late goal to to get level. But it was uh, it's sort of Crystal Palace in a nutshell, I think, that ninety minutes. And Southampton, you sort of did what they what what you expect. I think they, they can hurt you if you if you let them play. Um, you, but you got to get in the face a bit and and not let them do what they want to do. And Palace didn't do that in for. A, enough of the game to, to win it so a draw was probably a fair result to be fair it's probably the right result considering Palace and Southampton have now both drawn eight games this season which is a, a joint league high along with Burnley and Brighton so it seemed inevitable that this game is going to finish all square for Southampton it was James Ward-Prowse who was the standout once again Jim with a free kick I mean I've called him a free kick merchant loads of times on this podcast because I don't think he offers anything other than being good at set pieces. But we have to give credit where credit is due, as difficult as that is for me as a Pompey fan. Is he the best set piece taker in the Premier League? Because you feel like with James Ward-Prowse, when he gets a free kick 20 yards out, 25 yards out, that the chances of Southampton scoring are much greater than any other side in the Premier League from that same position. I think the free kick merchant tag is a little bit harsh. I mean, if he just offered Why? his free kick... Because I think he's got more to his game than that. I think his... What else does I think he do? Over... He's not a goal-scoring midfielder. He's not a box-to-box midfielder that scores goals or chips in with goals. No, but the only goals he scores are from set pieces. But his overall distribution is very good from open play as well. So he kind of can play that quarterback role very well. And that's that's got a value to it. You're right, he doesn't score a huge amount of goals. And he isn't someone who kind of connects up your defence and your forward line with these gut busting box to box runs but I think in terms of a player of the ball he's got a lot of talent hasn't he yeah it's it's, it's, it's an interesting one I just I just I just don't see it apart from apart from the set but it's like Seb Larson for Sunderland <laughs> Marley will tell you he was good at free he was good at free kicks and that's it like he's, he's nothing special that's a bit harsh because Seb Larson was was an awful, think, think... awful footballer <laughs> <laughs> but what, what what about a player like Jan Mulby um Jim, like, who, who kind I of... mean, ca- carrying on the middle age theme, I remember Jan Mulby playing darts better than playing football. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get Jim started well, Anyway, darts, okay. I... Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, no, anyway, I think he can offer a little bit more than that. But if he was just offering his ability at dead balls, do you know what? I think with the quality he has, he kind of works his way into the team anyway yeah. because his delivery is fantastic. His scoring rate I don't know what the percentage is from dead ball situations but I imagine it's one of the highest in the league is he the best at free kicks yeah, in the that league? was I my think... original question before you yeah. try, tried to give him undue credit so <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I think potentially the likes of Kevin De Bruyne might have a something to say about whether um Ward Prowse is the is, is the best free kick taker in the league but he's certainly up there and I think if it wasn't for him, Southampton would find themselves 100% in the in a worse, worse position in the league. It'd be interesting to see how many of their goals he has had direct involvement yeah. with, because I imagine it's a large percentage. Yeah, I can understand his importance um, to Southampton. I think he's got 33 Premier League goals, uh, 29 assists across his Premier League career. And I can appreciate how important he is to them, or at least how the fans feel about him. And giving him the credit like I say for set pieces you know the question was 
is he the best set piece taker in the league? Well, I think if you look at the amount of free kicks he scores, you have to say he's in with a very strong shout of, of saying yes. But, you know, you try to spin my words, Jim, into saying that he's better than I'm giving him credit <laughs> for when all I really wanted to suggest was the set pieces. Anyway, uh, we'll move on. Palace 2, Southampton 2. We'll leave it there. I'm sure there's plenty of raging Saints fans who want to give me some stick about that. Feel free at the Sports Social on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And the final game that took place last night was Brighton against Wolves. It finished 1-0 to the away side. Wolverhampton Wanderers, another narrow win for them. They've scored 13 and conceded 14 in the Premier League this season, Marley. Do you think that's a bit of a hallmark of their play under Bruno Large, those narrow margins of victory? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think they've got a bit of um, a bit of Brighton about them, as in they, they, make, they make a lot of chances and then don't necessarily take them and everything gets a bit tighter than they'd want because they've seen it, seen it in the in the game last night against Brighton and it was like they had enough time, enough chances to, to kill that game off um, and they ended up scoring one of the hardest chances they had with Sice, a centre-back sticking it right in the corner from a, a sort of stretching volley um, and it's in they had a couple of breakaways, Adama Traore again involved and making the final pass which wasn't good enough um, and... I think he set up Pedence once, but it was a it was a poor pass that made Pedence shoot from twenty yards rather than sort of ten. Um, and it's just like they're almost there, Wolves. Like they do play decent, they do do all right, but like they they give away too many chances, which allows teams back into it because they haven't been killed off earlier with their with their sort of level of dominance because they will dominate game like large periods of the game, create enough chances to get over the line and win two or three nil most weeks. But they they don't kill it off, and it's it's something that they need to work on because they've got enough talent in that squad to to really push for a top half finish. You can't complain when you get three points, though, even if it does come by virtue of a of a narrow win. Yeah, one nil is a decent. Well, luckily score. they played Brighton, who were, who were even worse at finishing chances. <laughs> well, as you say, you know we talk about goal difference and the league table. As I mentioned just there, Wolverhampton Wanderers have scored thirteen goals and conceded. 14 and at the moment they find themselves eighth in the table with a minus one goal difference much like Tottenham who have played three games fewer and if you look at Brighton they've only scored a goal more so you're looking apart from Norwich who are rock bottom of the table you know Brighton and Wolves have scored some of the fewest goals in the Premier League amongst all teams so it was inevitable that this one much like Palace Southampton was probably going to finish a draw that this one was going to be a narrow result either way as for Brighton they slipped to 13th Jim and eighth draw of the season for them as well that early season momentum where we saw them surprisingly in the top six that's now gone isn't it yeah they have lost that momentum and I think a lot of that is disruption to that first 11 because they're one of the teams that have been severely hit by injuries I don't think the Covid's got them yet but certainly they got Neil Mope out last night Gross was out, Shane Duffy suspended, Lewis Dunk, Adam Webster have both been unavailable for some time now. Um, Lamptey, I think he played last night, but he's been out for a long period of time and he was been the driving force. He's been the difference that Brighton have had early on in the season. So it does feel like that early momentum has dropped off slightly and the league position reflects that they are dropping down but I think even Brighton fans if they were being honest would say probably where they're sitting now in amongst the likes of Brentford and Southampton and Leeds is probably where they expected to be at the beginning of the season and I think Brighton are still in that phase where Graham Potter's come in his job has been to change the style of football we've said that time and time again but it's still to maintain Premier League status. So the change in football is always difficult. We've seen so many teams try and do that, try and play expansive football and plummet down the leagues. Brighton need to do that and try and maintain their league position. So as long as they finish above 17th, I think that's a result for them this season. And that early season form, those points they got on the board early doors, should be considered a step towards doing that rather than an aspirational target for the end of the season. 
Well, Brighton lose 1-0 at home to Wolves. Didn't hear any boos at the Amex last night, or at least haven't heard any reported like there was in the game against Leeds about a month or so ago when Graham Potter came out swinging to the supporters. And I can understand why, and I can understand his frustration, but the Seagulls did lose last night. And actually speaking after the game, Graham Potter revealed something quite interesting. He said that the Premier League actually rejected a request to postpone this game. You say the COVID hasn't got them yet, Jim, but... It, it did seem like that uh, apparently there was a request from um, from both teams to put this game uh, to one side and cancel it to be rescheduled at a later date. That was rejected. And Potter said, we all want football to continue. We want life to continue as best we can. But clearly health is the most important thing. I think that's something that needs to be taken into consideration because Burnley against Watford that was due to be played last night was also called off. We'll talk about that big elephant in the room that is coronavirus next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss a single episode of this podcast. There's a new one every day of the season, including right throughout Christmas, where we'll be keeping you up to date with all the latest Premier League fixtures, of which there might not be too many if COVID-19 continues to take its toll on the English top flight. Manchester United's game against Brentford in London was postponed on Tuesday. Last night, it was Burnley against Watford that was called off for similar reasons due to coronavirus. And as we revealed before the break, Brighton against Wolves was also allegedly in line to be called off, but the Premier League rejected those appeals. This is becoming an all too familiar story now, Jim. Coronavirus rearing its ugly head again. We've seen two games fall foul to the impact of COVID-19 in the last two days it doesn't feel like it's going to finish there does it? Feels like a very familiar story doesn't it? It's like we've gone back in a time warp to this time last year when we were talking about games being cancelled and what was and wasn't going to go ahead and it comes down to money versus health again sadly. I think the Premier League are concerned about where and when these postponed games if they do have to postpone games will be slotted in because I think it's inevitable we will get to a point in a few weeks time where multiple games are being called off so that is going to happen so the Premier League just want to keep going as long as far as possible because if they don't play these games if the league gets cancelled or they can't fit games in then that they have to pay money back on the TV rights deal so there is a direct potential financial penalty to not playing these games it's not just the inconvenience that's at place and it's a sad situation but that's the kind of situation we find ourselves in I think what I find disappointing about the decision that was made considering like last night, Burnley versus Watford, is that is a decision that could have been made easily 12 hours beforehand. They could have stopped the Watford fans travelling up to the northwest and being stranded in Burnley, which no one wants to be. And that is a poor decision for in terms of calling off games. And we'll probably see it tonight. I've no doubt that Leicester Spurs, which we'll talk about shortly, won't go ahead because of the COVID cases there. But no doubt it will be a 90th minute call. It will be an hour before kickoff. They're calling off the game and suddenly everyone's travel plans and everyone's accommodation and what they're going to be doing etc etc is all thrown into jeopardy and I think there needs to be a little bit more consideration for the fans that are traveling to these games because it's easier to do almost when the games are behind closed doors when you've not got people going to and from you can make these last minute decisions but right now you've got five ten thousand people traveling to away games and they're lives and their welfare because they will be on trains and whatnot as well going to these games remember also needs to be in the into the thought process when making these decisions. I think you'll struggle to see 10,000 Watford fans making a trip to Burnley, <laughs> but I do take your point completely. Um, that game is off. And as you say, the fans and afterthought, Marley, and we've spoken about this before, and we know the broadcasters call the shots in this country, and you can see the reasons why when it comes to the Premier League games, because they're the ones that really pump the cash into the game in this country. The broadcast deals across the world are the reasons why the Premier League is so affluent, so to speak, in terms of the amount of money it can command. And so therefore, when Newcastle United gets sent to Brighton for a Sunday night kickoff, um, and those fans have to travel all the way down for the longest away trip of the season on a Sunday when there's no trains back, you can understand why people are frustrated. We mentioned it on the podcast a couple of days ago uh, when Manchester United's game was called off against Brentford. It was 
a, a case of why was it called off at 11 o'clock at night when fans would have already made plans? And this one, Burnley against Watford, that was postponed last night due to coronavirus, was called off two hours before kickoff. And, you know, I joke about Watford not taking 10,000, but it's immaterial, really, how many Watford fans have made the trip. The fact is that some will have done and would have spent money only two hours before the game to get told that it's not going to go ahead. So once again, the, the fans are an afterthought, which after Project Restart, after the Super League fiasco, we were told that fans were going to be put at the front and centre of all attention, but it certainly doesn't seem like that with what we've seen in the last couple of days. No, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't get why it was called off so close to the game. Like I, I almost didn't believe it. I was like, well, why? You know, once it goes past sort of four or five o'clock, or even midday, you, you were like, well, th- this is going ahead. You know, they were, where where was the uh the the sort of news when the the morning started like 9am when when nobody had gone from Watford to set off to go to Burnley or whatever you know this this decision could have been made earlier could have saved a lot of people a lot of time a lot of money um it's yeah it's just weird i, I didn't understand it like no it's not as if everybody tested positive at like one o'clock and then you've gone oh god we need to do something about this. So it's all over the place because I think didn't didn't the league say something about um Man United's game against Watford uh, sorry, Man United's game the other night um would would be postponed against Brentford but then none none of the others would, like this week or something. And then even that created like a completely uneven playing field because how can you how can you say Man United and Brentford um falls foul of COVID testing and COVID outbreaks and then no one else can because it's breaking out at every club we've seen it um so why say that you can't uh that you're not going to postpone anything um and then you reverse that decision 24 hours 48 hours later when uh you call off leicester um not leicester the game last night burnley and watford with four hours notice three hours notice so the whole thing doesn't make sense to me and i think we're we're heading towards another mini break in in uh in the league i think Brentford manager Thomas Frank was speaking in his press conference this morning and he says he wants all games this weekend called off to give Premier League time, Premier League clubs enough time to sanitise the training ground and just let the illness subside a little bit. He was actually called by a Brentford official mid-press conference or the press officer was called mid-press conference this morning uh, to tell Thomas Frank to tell the media that 13 of his players have got positive coronavirus cases. Steven Gerrard revealed that Aston Villa have positive cases. We know Leicester do. We know Tottenham do. Burnley and Watford obviously called off last night. Manchester United do. We know how infectious coronavirus is, but it's getting everywhere. It's getting all over the Premier League and inevitably games are going to be called off because of it. Thomas Frank says he wants all games off this weekend. Is that something you agree with, Jim? Would you agree with what Thomas Frank says, just to postpone all the games this weekend to give time for the virus to settle down ever so slightly? Or do we go even more serious than that? You mentioned, where are these games going to be played? Burnley and Spurs have now got multiple games in hand. Tottenham have only played 14 games. Everyone else has played 16 and 17. Where do you squeeze those games in? And before they get too far behind in terms of having games to play catch up on, do you just suspend the whole Premier League? Do you see it getting that bad? It's a really difficult decision to make and it's a head versus heart decision as well because I think if we were purely thinking with our heads, we'd say shut everything down. We're in a unique situation at the moment, even though we say it's deja vu to 12 months ago. It is unique because we've got a new variant of COVID and mm. none of us are epidemiologists or whatever the word is. Yeah. So we can't... Well, it's, de- it's deja vu to 18 months ago. Yeah. I mean, a year ago, I mean, we were in lockdown, but football was still going ahead behind closed doors. But the players were still testing negative in their regular rounds of testing. Now we're seeing players test positive. And it reminds me personally, I don't know whether you boys agree, of when Mikel Arteta tested positive for COVID in February 2020. And then three weeks later, the Premier League was put to a stop for months. Yeah. And then we had to have a restart in the summer. It, it feels like we've gone back almost two years to that point. I don't know whether you agree or not. I don't think we'll get to that situation again, because I think our knowledge of what happens with 
COVID is so far advanced now and the treatments are so far advanced beyond where we were 18 months ago. But we have got a new strain that is far more transmissible and they're talking about it having a doubling rate every 24 hours. So there's a public health consideration to be put in place here as well as the player health situation. So there's two different things to balance here. I think the, I think games behind closed doors are inevitable. I do think that is going to be something we begin to see over the next few weeks. And unfortunately, it comes down to a lack of leadership from government, I think. When you're not making decisions about Christmas parties being had outside number 10, obviously, rather than inside number 10, then how can you expect big business like Premier League to make decisions that impact them negatively? In the same way, it's like you you need some top-down leadership from this kind of thing, and it's just not happening. But like I say, we've got the public health consideration. You can't have fans in grounds when you've got a rampant virus going through the population. So that has to be addressed. But also, player health has to be addressed. I remember, I don't know what the stat is now, but about six months ago, only 30% of Premier League players or something along those lines had been vaccinated. So that obviously has a knock-on situation. We don't know how severe the short-term or long-term impacts of this current virus, this current variant, are on any age groups yet, although it is suggested to be mild. So there needs to be a consideration there as well. There are so many things that need to be balanced out. But I think if you were taking your heart out of it, the fact we all want to see football, the fact that Premier League and football below it is in dire financial straits after the lockdowns of the last couple of years... If you took them out of the equation, you'd go, look, let's pause this, lads. Let's not put anyone at risk. Let's resume later. But then... When do you resume? Earlier, well, that's it. Where does it happen? Does it go into the summer? There is no tournament this year. So maybe that's a potential. But you push the season I'm, on a but bit. I mentioned but I this. I mentioned this two days ago on the podcast, Jim. And it's a case of if we do postpone it for a couple of weeks and move it into the summer... Players will have had two and a half seasons near enough of back-to-back football with very little time in between because we would have had uh, Project Restart and then there was, I think, a three-week gap and then the new season and then the Euros this summer and then this season. Um, And then if we push it back a little bit later, we would have had games this summer coming up and then straight into the start of next season, of which there's then a World Cup in this time next year in 2022. So it's almost like we talk about the health of players and that there's too many games. But if we if we postpone the season, you know, that's going to be a real struggle. And I think you're right. It's not even a case of playing the games behind closed doors and and keeping everyone who attends games in good health, which is, of course, a, a priority. But if the players are dropping with with covid, does it affect the integrity of the competition? You know, every every team is, is going to have to play second string sides. There's lots of under 23s coming on the bench. Maybe that's just a product of the environment we're in. And you talk about health as well, but also. I've seen lots of commentary and narrative online about mental health and how football is great for the the mental health of the nation, having something to watch. And, you know, it's difficult having to deal with all of these new variants and and the way life has changed in the last two years. So, you know, we talk about the physical health of people, which understandably is the main focus when it comes to coronavirus, but also getting rid of football for however long it might be or cancelling the season or postponing it or whatever the decision might be. That is going to impact a lot of people mentally as well, don't you think? Yeah, it will. But you can't put players at risk for that reason. I mean, I'm sure my mental health would be improved by watching players play football over a live volcano. It'd be really entertaining, but I'm not going to, it's not going to happen because it puts those individuals at risk. So I don't think that's going to happen. I also don't think the season's going to be cancelled. It's not going to be null and void because we're not in a situation now that was as bad as the first lockdown and we <laughs> didn't see it then. We're not going to see it now. We're probably going to see games being crammed into short periods of time again if they do have to hit pause and i think we saw teams playing four games over 10 games at the end uh, over 10 days rather at the end of last season and we'll probably see that again but does it damage the credibility of the competition yeah i mean it does and that's why liverpool's title win doesn't count <laughs> because the uh, the the credibility of the competition was damaged that year well, to be fair, the last time we were in this position and Mikel Arteta and half of the Arsenal team tested positive for COVID, you said, ah, no, they won't suspend the Premier League. And three months later, we played the, the next game of the season. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you just don't know. Um, it, this is depressing to talk about. It's it's difficult and uncomfortable, but we have to talk about it. It is impacting the Premier League and hopefully it doesn't affect it too much. But that's what Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager, has to say. He thinks that all games should be called off this weekend, to be honest. 
We're recording this podcast here on Thursday morning. The games that kick off tonight, Liverpool, Newcastle, Chelsea, Everton and Leicester Spurs. Some of those games might not even go ahead. And at the time of recording, they all are. But you just don't know because of how late that Burnley-Watford cancellation was last night. You're just not sure anymore um, what the decisions will be. But speaking of those three games, we need to preview them regardless, presuming they do go ahead. And we'll do that next here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Niall McCorn. I've got Jim Salverson and Marley Anderson alongside me. There are three Premier League games tonight, presuming that none of them get postponed due to COVID-19. Let's start with the one that I think is catching the eye the most due to implications at either end of the Premier League table. Liverpool at the top and Newcastle towards the bottom, respectively. The two clash at Anfield tonight. And let's start with you, Marley, being a Newcastle United fan. Do you this go into, good. <laughs> do you go into this game fearing the worst? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, because Liverpool are playing really, really well. Um, they're tearing everyone apart with the, who they're coming up against. No one's really got an answer to them so far. Um, and Newcastle are trying to go and play against teams that can outplay them. Seeing that against Leicester, um, they had I think they had more possession. Um, Newcastle did against Leicester, but ended up shipping four goals, uh, and that's not ideal. So you're looking at that and thinking, if we try and do that against Liverpool, you know this. I mean. You see Man City stick seven past Leeds. Um I don't think it'll be quite that bad, but <laughs> it's got it's got every chance of being it to be fair. But I'm waiting to, to um, just to clip that. I don't think it'll be quite that bad. Uh, <laughs> oh that that could bite me uh tomorrow easily. I'd download because... um Hello Darkness, my old friend to my machine just in case. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, like my honestly though, like my my one criticism of, of Eddie Howe when he was Bournemouth manager was that he tried to play too much against against the big big teams. Uh, so Bournemouth had shipped five or six against Man City at the Etihad every every season, and they'd get well beaten by the the top yeah. teams. Um, I mean, we spoke about this he, on the show when a couple of days ago when you were in Iceland, and Eddie Howe, as much as he's given credit as a coach for the way he tries to play, and like you say, maybe he does do it too much sometimes. The one criticism that kind of haunted his Bournemouth teams was the amount of goals they conceded. I mean, there were some seasons where he conceded 60 plus goals as the manager of Bournemouth. And when you're in a relegation fight, that's never, never helpful to concede that many goals. Is is that the that the concern defensively? Because, you know, you, you can score with players like Sam Aximan and with Wilson and, you know, even Willock will chip in with goals from time to time. But in terms of at the back, is that the biggest concern, particularly coming up against a team as, as powerful as Liverpool going forward? Yeah, uh, especially until January when we can go out and sign sign some players that are better than what we've got. Because um, I think three of our back four are probably not as good as they could be. I think Lascelles is is a, is a leader, but he's not exactly a, a fantastic player. Um, Fernandez is probably our best centre back, and he's he's in his mid thirties. Um, can I ask Marley right what's back? happened to Newcastle over? A two-year period, because I remember having conversations with you. Back <laughs> you know when, what he's going to say. Well, when Rafa, <laughs> I mean, if we're talk, if we're saying it's Steve Bruce that has ruined Newcastle, <laughs> yeah. the players are still the same as they were in that back line under Rafa Benitez, aren't they? When Newcastle, I remember talking to you about Newcastle's defence and you singing the praises of how good they were and how the centre back choices were the best. I'm, I'm probably exaggerating what you're saying here but the best in the Premier League <laughs> so the, the the players are there right. surely if they could play that way under Rafa Benitez so why has Steve Bruce done so much damage that he's caused players to forget how to play football well you've almost summed it up there because you're saying that under Rafa Benitez they these players were were you know performing greater than you'd expect them to and that's uh that's two reasons in one number one they were well drilled by a, a manager who knew what what to do with uh slightly inferior players he knew how to get the best out of them he knew how to set them up etc etc and also uh with you saying these players are the same players that played under Rafa Benitez and that was three years ago and they're still the same players so okay, so yeah. everything's just 
you know, you can't. Everyone knows you can't stay still in football. You can't stand still because you end up just going backwards because everyone gets better. Um, your players get more comfortable, and you know, well, I'm going to play at the weekend, so they get a bit complacent. Um, no one's fighting for spots because they know who's uh, who's going to play every week, and it was like that. Um, and you see that over if you if you have a coach for two and a half years who doesn't coach you properly, well, nearly three years, it's uh, it's. A hell of a challenge to then get them players from the lowest of their lows to to back to the highest of the highs when when Rafa Benitez was in charge and knew what he was doing. But there has been an improvement under Howe, definitely. Um, but it's it's still it's bridging that gap now because the players are, are slowly getting worse. Like Shah's in his thirties, Lascelles is um, just not <laughs> that good. Basically, uh, Fernandez, I mentioned, I think he's thirty three. Kieran Clarks is he's a liability to to anyone um, most of the time. Then he'll chuck in a very good performance every every now and again. Um, and there's I don't think I don't think we've got a centre back under twenty seven. I don't think so. It's like um, they're slowly getting worse, and that's why we need investment. That's why we've needed investment for the last fourteen years because it's been the same uh, the same story with with many many players. It's cheaper to keep the ones you've got than to buy new ones. Um, but now we've got the money to go and buy a new one, so hopefully January is a big uh, a big thing for us. But as we've said on a number of occasions, I think what is it still four games between now and January might even yeah. be five. So you've Not got well, Liverpool tonight, Man City. And, uh, yeah, Man City on Sunday, and then Manchester United yeah. the following Monday. So you know that that's going to be interesting to see how Newcastle are in terms of the shape they're in when it comes to the standings by the time January comes around. Tough test for them against Liverpool tonight. Just quickly on Liverpool, Jim, they need to win to stay a point behind Manchester City, who smashed Leeds 7-0 yesterday. Will they win tonight? <laughs> yeah. OK, fine, moving on. Chelsea against Everton. Um, title race implications here as well. After leading the way for ages, Chelsea are now third and two points behind Man City at the top of the table. As I mentioned, they were top of the league for a long while. And uh, after a little blip, they're now two points back. They need to capitalise tonight, don't they, Jim, against an Everton side who are in poor form. There's no two ways about it. I think, I mean, Liverpool and Chelsea will be looking at this season going, I've got absolutely no idea how we're not winning this league. Because in most other seasons, you'd have one team that was head and shoulders, or certainly in recent years, above the rest. And I think Chelsea deserve to be there, but they just are just off the pace at the moment, but that's only because the pace that is being set by Manchester City is absolutely exceptional. But this is the type of game that Chelsea will 100% be looking at and going, this is the one we need to get points from because Everton have been really poor recently and you'd fancy Chelsea do have the players and have the style and have the manager to get something very decent. What I'd like to see from Chelsea tonight is something a bit more convincing because if you look at their recent results, they have won games but they've not won them at a canter. When you look at the the Leeds game where they won by the single goal and Leeds was superb in that game, one of the few games they've been pressed this season. The West Ham game where they lost to the odd goal at the end and they just about beat Watford last time out. So I think there may be a little bit of confidence waning in those Chelsea ranks. So it feels like the kind of game where they really need to go out there and get a couple of goals, win convincingly. And Romelu Lukaku needs to start scoring again as well because he's not lived up to his billing coming in at the start of the season and what better opportunity to get your scoring boots back on than against your own old club yeah certainly no need to g up Romelu Lukaku for this one um, against the side where he performed so well and that was eventually how he got his move to Manchester United was by scoring loads of goals for Everton and I think still fondly thought of at Goodison Park this game tonight though is at Stamford Bridge as you say Jim Chelsea could do with winning they have to win really to avoid slipping further back in the title race Um, as for Everton Rafa Benitez going in there Marley was always going to be controversial we've mentioned that loads of times on Football Social Daily this season where has Benitez been getting it wrong? You've watched him close hand when he was manager of Newcastle. Is it fair to say he has been getting it wrong? What do you think? Uh, well, yes, yeah, you've got to say they're getting it wrong because they're not winning games. Um, I think Calvert-Lewin's injury is is probably the biggest factor um, that they've had. They've had some hard injuries to deal with at times. I think Richarlison's... Uh, is Richarlison injured now? I think he got injured at the weekend, didn't he? So that's that's even that's another sort of 
even harder thing to deal with. Dakura spent a little bit of time out. And if you look at them three, they're probably the, the, the three best players, if you're being honest. So I think it's hard to, to come up with a game plan, which is defence first, because it relies on your attack taking the chances and, and doing their their bit as well. And when you take out that attack and you put in the second choice um, players into that forward line, then that is uh, a little bit, it's just counterproductive. You, you're almost shooting yourself in the foot there. So um, I think he's been unlucky, but I, look, I don't watch everything for for ninety minutes every every week. But they they do seem a little bit like they're still learning the ways of of what Rafa wants. Um, and he has yeah, he's took a little bit of stick Benitez, obviously because people expect him to uh, to you know basically reproduce what he did at, at at Liverpool and turn Everton into a a top side who can challenge for the top six, but he he needs investment. I think it's he he could have had Newcastle doing very well if he'd got investment. That's why he left the club. I think Everton have invested in every manager before him, uh, big like really big investment. They're talking sixty to a hundred million every transfer window they're they're spending. So he hasn't had that yet. I think they've made a profit in the in the last window. Um, of about twelve million quid by selling James Rodriguez and what have you, um, Keen as well. Yeah. Keen, yeah, exactly. So he hasn't had that investment yet. I think that's a bit unfair to to judge him yet as well because yeah. you need to give him a chance. You need to give him the tools to with which to work because right now you're seeing Everton's lack of depth really really hurt them, um, and it's it's unfair for me. A lot of that is to do with injuries, but I've seen some Everton fans suggest that, you know, injuries can only be an excuse for so long and the performances in general just haven't been good enough. But let's reel off that injury list because having this many missing players against the Chelsea side who are strong will always hinder you. Richarlison's out with a calf tear. He won't be back till the new year. Dominic Calvert-Lewin might be back by Boxing Day, but they're not 100%. Tom Davis is out. Luca Dean is doubtful. Alan um, is a doubt but could play. Seamus Coleman similarly. Yeri Mina is ruled out and so is Andros Townsend. So you look in there, Jim, at eight players who are all either definitely absent or doubtful that would easily get into the first team mix on a match day. It's interesting how many teams we're talking about with significant injury lists at the moment because we've rattled off a few on this podcast already and you've just got to wonder how the football schedule is affecting them because we did have the shorter summer we had the European Championships the game weeks seem congested at the moment I don't know whether that's different to normal or whether that's just my perception and what kind of impact that's having on these players and their fitness there's a big question mark over that but the players you've listed it's really easy to see how Everton are struggling with those players if they had a fully fit team would they be doing better yeah they probably would and you only have to look there was an interesting comparison made on the BBC website ahead of this game and they were talking about how last time these two teams met at Stamford Bridge Carlo Ancelotti was in charge of Everton and they were competing for Champions League places no one knew whether it was going to be Chelsea or Everton that was going to be in that position Mm. and obviously Everton have really dropped off the place since then Chelsea have stepped up and ultimately with the exception of the departures that you've already mentioned, it's the same squad of players for Everton. And it's easy to go, well, if Carlo Ancelotti could do it, Rafa Benitez could do it. But you look at the handicap he's been handed with those injuries and you can see <laughs> no the situation he's in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can see how it's an impossible situation for Benitez. And unfortunately, he's in a position where that atmosphere at Everton is going to get more and more toxic because of the manner of his arrival and his history in Liverpool. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I don't know how long he's going to stay on, how long he's going to retain his job for in that cauldron that will be Goodison. But then if he does go, who replaces him? Because it's difficult mm. to see someone else coming in and doing a better job. Well, ironically enough, Chelsea have the joint fewest injuries in the Premier League this season with two. Only Matteo Kovacic and Ben Chilwell are currently absent, but Everton have around eight players doubtful for this game and there are a number of teams with a a number of injuries. One of those is Leicester City and they play Spurs tonight in the Premier League. They've got 11 possible doubts, um, a combination of injury and coronavirus. I thought Brendan Rodgers was saying something quite interesting in his press conference before the game about how the match can only be postponed if a percentage of the injuries you do have are due to coronavirus. So at the moment, Leicester City have a blend of legitimate injuries, physical ones, and illnesses. And the Premier League will only consider a suspension if 
a percentage of those, I, I don't know what the number is, let's presume, I don't know, it's 50%, say there's eight players injured and four of them have got COVID, you there have grounds to get the game postponed. Um, but it, it's a real interesting game, this Leicester against Spurs. Tottenham have eight problems of their own when it comes to their squad. Should this game really even be going ahead, Marley, considering the problems that we've heard about from both clubs? Um, probably not, if we're being honest. I mean, we've... We had an outbreak at Leicester, but they're playing through it. We had an outbreak at Spurs a, a week or 10 days ago, whatever it was, and, and they got a game postponed because of it. Uh, and now, there are, I think the Premier League's like, well, you're both, you're both knackered, so you might as well play. Um, <laughs> and that is, that's kind of, it's one way of looking at it, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's not probably, you, you know, they've both got uh, a good reason to be fuming with the fact that they're actually playing. But, uh, it is what it is. I don't think there's a there's no set rule which doesn't help anyone in this situation as we touched on before. You know, nobody seems to know how many players have got to go down before you you get a, grounds for an, uh, a postponement. Um, I don't think Man United had that many, and Brentford as well as well as as many as as Leicester or Spurs have. Um, and it's sort of one rule for them and one rule for a, it's sort of like on a case by case basis where it probably shouldn't be. But I'm amazed it's going ahead this one. Um, but as Burnley and Watford proved last night, we can get to five o'clock, uh, two two and a half hours from kickoff, and just as uh, we're getting ready to see the team sheets, uh, it could get called off. So there's still a long way to go. Um, it was what seven seven or eight hours from kickoff at, at time of recording. So this one could could easily get uh, get postponed in the in the next few hours. But it it probably should. It's probably the right decision. But as it is, both teams are just going to have to suck it up. I don't think Leicester have got any centre backs tonight. So it'd be interesting to see who who plays at, at centre back. Maybe Steve Walsh will come out of retirement or something. <laughs> see Matt Elliott and Muzzy yeah. is it will come back or something. I don't know. I, I, there does need to be a rule, doesn't it? The, the Premier League do have to have a threshold where they go. If you have this many COVID cases, then we call it off. So it's understandable yeah. that that's there. I guess the question is where that line is. Yeah, it's the combination with other injuries as well. So as well, you have says, to you have to disregard the other injuries because you might have other injuries at any other time. So I think I think that's right that you go you look purely at the COVID cases. But Leicester have 11 players is. out. Norwich have 10 players out. Brighton have 12 players out. You know, you know, you're talking at teams with half a first team squad missing. Let's just say a squad is 25 players. Brighton have 12 players missing due to injury or COVID. That's half a squad. So, you know, it is significant. And with the changes in the rules this season with the Premier League, where you can have more substitutes on the bench than you could in previous seasons... That's meant that those gaps are needing to be filled. It's great for the young players who have a chance to gain experience. And I don't mean this section of the podcast to, to you know, to sound like a bill of health. But Marley's right. When it comes to Leicester, they might need to call on some of the old timers in the stands. Because Fafana, we know, is long-term injury issue with his with his leg. Um, he's out. Johnny Evans and Shagla Soyuncu, both out with thigh problems. Yannick Vestergaard has an illness, which isn't COVID, but he's missing. Perez is out also with illness. Lookman is out with illness. All of these illnesses are not COVID, just different kinds of illness. So's Kalechi and Acho. Uh, Benkovic as well. James Justin is out, but close to a return. And Hamza Chowdhury is out. So they're all first team well, players. Well, here's a question for you, because as we mentioned earlier, the uptake on vaccinations is really low amongst Premier League footballers, or certainly it was six months ago. Benitez was talking about it in his press conference. He was saying we're encouraging players to get it. But at the end of the day, it's players' discretion whether they want to take up the vaccine or not. Should clubs be doing more to have their players vaccinated? or to insist their players are vaccinated. I mean, the idea that well, you what, need... What a, difference it, does it make, though? Because it, they're still catching it, and then they're still postponing it, whether you're vaccinated or because not. It, it, well, there's 68% is the statistic, okay. Jim. So let's get that clear as crystal okay. first and foremost. 68% of Premier League players were fully vaccinated, and that was in mid-October. So the chances are it could have increased from mm. then. So that's still pretty low in terms of population. But, I mean, it's a really sticky topic to talk about people needing a vaccination to work. But at the same time... It is putting people at risk, not only in terms of symptoms, but in terms of if you have had the vaccine, if you've had the booster, your transmission possibility is lower or the chances of transmitting it are lower. So should Premier League clubs, if they want to continue players, if they want to continue playing, I don't know the answer to this, by the way, should they be being more militant? I mean, if you're a football, if you're a footballer, you can't go skiing because it puts you at risk. It puts you as an asset as risk. And surely not having the vaccine is also putting you at risk. 
I, I can understand your point. It's the same reason why wearing a seatbelt is a legal requirement when you drive sure. a car in this country. Because if you don't, then you put yourself at risk of serious harm. And I can understand people's viewpoint on that. But when it comes to medical science, you cannot be forcing people to take vaccines. You just can't be doing that. And that's something I, having been double vaccinated and being a pro-vaccine person myself, I still, it doesn't sit right with me morally to almost force people to take something medical to inject it into their body um you know that's just a personal opinion and people will be shouting at the podcast disagreeing with me and people will also be nodding their head in agreement it's a it's a divisive topic which splits opinion and understandably so but i don't think the premier league in terms of managers and staff are doing any more than they they already can do in encouraging players all you can do is just gently encourage a player to say we think you should be vaccinated but ultimately it's your choice you know it's not a if you don't get vaccinated, we're not going to play you um, because then you've got grounds for, for legal action if you're a player. So I, I think there is a it's walking on eggshells, as you say. But, you know, Jurgen Klopp's spoken about it in, in press conferences, as have many managers in the Premier League, about encouraging their players to get the jabs. And you can't you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, as the old saying goes. And I think that, that that's a tricky topic to, to discuss when it comes to that. But I can understand your point. But uh, but naturally, these athletes are going to be concerned about putting what is effectively a foreign body into their system. Um, and, and you can appreciate that. Yeah, and it just it just shows how complex the situation is on all counts, doesn't it? Whether it's game postponement, whether it's cancelling a league, whether it's making sure players are fully protected. It, it's just there are so many differing opinions and there's so many unknowns in every part of the conversation that whatever the decision is, people are going to disagree with it. And we've seen that recently with political decisions around covid it, you can't please all of the people all the time and we it feels like we're kind of in that situation at the moment as well yeah for sure let's talk about the game then we need to mention who won't be playing for spurs tonight seeing as we've mentioned leicester well, emerson no one it's going to be cancelled no one's going to be playing for either team <laughs> well e- e- emerson has covid regulon is a doubt with a with a physical problem rather than covid brian hill has covid human son has covid oliver skip has covid uh, and Lucas Moura has COVID. What about Led- Ledley King? Is he all right? His knee's probably still inflamed from the last game <laughs> he played 15 years ago. Um, let's talk about that away from the injuries, away from COVID. Let- let's talk about the game, Marley. If Tottenham win their games in hand, of which they've got three over most of the other teams in the Premier League, they can get into the top four. They can currently break that top four. But do you see it happening? The two games they've had postponed were against Burnley due to snow a fortnight ago and then against Brighton due to coronavirus last time around. So... Those are the two games they've got in hand, at least at the moment. If tonight's called off, they'll have Leicester as well to play to make that three games in hand. If they win all of those games, they can get into the top four, but do you think it will happen? Um, it could. It it could, but I'm, I'm not sure because this whole... <laughs> You're going to say whole... it depends if they've all got COVID. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. Like, you know, Spurs with Kane, Son, Lucas... Uh, regular on all these players with a capable of winning three games without Lucas, without uh, you know two or three of them that I've just said, they're probably not going to win those two, uh, those three games in hand. So it it all depends, but they're they're certainly capable of it. I think they're getting better week after week under Conte, um, and that'll only well you'd hope it would it would would carry on. Um, in January they can maybe spend a bit of cash as well and and try and uh, and improve the teams in certain areas. Um, but it's Spurs, isn't it? They they tend to flirt with success and then uh, and then turn around and, and shoot themselves in the foot a little bit uh, at at times. But it's just it 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 all depends. I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Never mind. We can't even predict what's going to happen tonight because we don't even know if there's going to be a game going ahead. So it's well, hard. ten days rest. I think Spurs at the moment, which should give them a huge advantage going into these games it even takes, if they it takes even 10 days for symptoms to appear uh, that's, that's true but I mean I think a lot of Spurs season whether they get into the top four it hinges on Harry Kane who just can't score for love nor money at the moment but if he can find his shooting boots which 100% he will at some point this season if he starts netting then suddenly that turns around their fortunes so they're beginning to get that form going they've won the last three if you add Harry Kane's goals to the way Spurs are playing at the moment, suddenly they look like they could potentially creep into that fourth position, which was unthinkable 
a couple of weeks ago. Well, Leicester against Spurs is meant to happen tonight. We don't know if it will. It probably won't. But if it does, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about it on Football (laughs) Social Daily. Don't forget the dugout, our Premier League weekend preview show will be out as well on Friday night. Michael Johnson, former Birmingham and Derby defender and Francis Benali, once of Southampton, will be joining me on the show to preview the weekend's games. I'm sure we'll be talking about coronavirus once again. We're approaching the end of 2021 and we're at the end of possibly the most depressing podcast across the entire 12 months that we've done here on Football Social Daily but fear not there's lots more uh, light-hearted non-COVID related content on our social media channels at the Sports Social on Twitter at Sports Social Official on Instagram and if you're on Facebook just type into the search bar Sports Social and you can find us there at the moment we're doing our 12 days of Christmas which is looking back at some of the funnier moments or moments you may have forgotten from the Premier League across the years what have we got today Marley, for, from our 12 days. We've had some good ones so far. Uh, today we've got uh, Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira fighting at, uh, at Highbury, Ooh. like a proper proper little tear-up between them, which is always uh, nice to look back on because you just would not get the stuff they did to each other now as it's uh, no. just too watered down now, isn't it? But throwback to the, uh, the passionate times of Keane versus Vieira. No social distancing in the tunnel back then, that's for sure. (laughs) This is Football Social Daily. Thank you, Marley. Thank you, Jim. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you'll be bang up to date with all the latest podcasts from us. But that's it for today's show. We'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.